You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. God sometimes uses suffering to position Christians, to position a saint in the world to be a witness. I love it. I hate it. The cross was the ultimate example of how God uses suffering for his own purposes. A precious gem has to be refined by intense heat in order to show its beauty and for you to see the clarity and the color of the jewel. If it hadn't been for the fire to burn away all of the impurities, the gem couldn't shine as brilliantly. Well, guess what? You get to become that gem when you decide to follow Jesus. Today, Pastor Danny mentions that part of being like Jesus is following him into suffering. But if you think that it's all depressing and drudgery, think again. You get to be that brilliant diamond. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 21, as he begins his message, Suffering and the Will of God. If you have the place, Acts chapter 21, look down in verse 4. The context is Paul the Apostle is going from place to place. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's stopping uh, at some churches along the way. He's greeting the saints. And in chapter 21, uh, he lands at Tyre, uh, north of Jerusalem. And it says in verse 4, finding the disciples there, um, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Very interesting. Uh, The Holy Spirit is saying something to these disciples in Tyre that's bad, what's coming for the Apostle Paul. And so they try to dissuade him uh, from continuing on his journey. Now, uh, you go to Acts chapter 20, Uh, back up just a little bit, and you go to verse 22. Here's what Paul says, Now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So the Holy Spirit is telling Paul, uh, trouble's ahead. And now the Holy Spirit is telling uh, other disciples on Paul's behalf, troubles ahead. And so they try to talk him out of continuing on his journey. Now, I'll just throw out a verse. Uh, Some of you know it, but it's Acts chapter 9, verse 16. When Paul the apostle, he was Saul of Tarsus, became the apostle Paul. When he first uh, came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
um, God told him uh, what his future would look like in the sense of suffering. Acts 9.16, I will show him, Saul, who would become Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. Um, I look today briefly at 2 Corinthians, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, uh, the middle of the verse, he, he says, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's a lot of scars on your body. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I mean, everywhere Paul went, uh, he was in danger. His time in Corinth was a haven of rest. We talked about that recently. Uh, now he's back on the road, and he's headed for Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit's warning him, uh, tough times are ahead, and now the Holy Spirit's warning other disciples. And they're trying to stop him from continuing on in his journey. Chapter 21, back in Acts again, uh, chapter 21, verse 7. We continued our voyage from Tyre, landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, one of the seven original deacons in the early church. And Philip goes from that serving position to become an evangelist. Um, and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, why does God tell us that? especially in light of the Apostle Paul going to stay at the home of Philip the Evangelist. Well, if anybody needs encouragement at this point in life, it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, I'll give you another verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Paul needs all three of those right now. Chapter 21, verse 10, after we had been there, Philip's house, uh, a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. A prophet now comes. This is the same prophet that back in Acts chapter 11 predicted a future famine. That famine happened. He's a true prophet. People know his reputation. Now he comes and what he does with Paul's belt, confirmation, troubles ahead, Paul. Verse 12, when we heard this from the prophet, we... And the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to note with me, here, we and the people there pleaded with Paul. That would include Luke, who humanly penned the book of Acts. One of Paul's companions in ministry, Luke. 
He's trying to talk Paul out of continuing on to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? So they're, they're so serious about it and so emotional about it, they're crying, begging Paul, don't go. I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. Paul goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. Surprise. As he makes his defense before an angry crowd, they become even more angry. The Roman soldiers, they, they take Paul into the barracks to protect him from the crowd. Next day, he stands before the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, and pandemonium breaks out. Now go to Acts 23 and go down to verse 10. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. Wow. He ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them by force, and bring him into the barracks. Teaching from Acts 18, I pointed out the humanity of the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we think these great men and women of God had some special Jesus juice. No. They're just like us. They feel pain. Uh, they don't like pain. Uh, they have emotional moments. They have down times and up times. If you look back quickly at chapter 18, which we recently covered, and verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. And I mentioned then, I'll say it again, anytime God says don't be afraid, don't say, I'm not afraid. God doesn't waste words. Paul was afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, which tells us that Paul was not only afraid, but he was feeling like, I can't do this anymore. Feeling like pulling back. Feeling like quitting. Acts 23, look at verse 11. The following night, this is after they're about to tear him apart and the Roman soldiers take Paul into the barracks to protect him. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and he said, take courage. When the Lord says take courage, it means you need courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The Jews here form a conspiracy to kill Paul, but Paul's nephew learns of the plot. He goes to the Roman commander, tells the Roman commander, and this is one of the most fascinating parts to me of the story. Chapter 23 Verse 23, this commander now called two of his centurions, who were over a hundred soldiers each, and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight in the cover of darkness. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely 
to Governor Felix. This is amazing to me. I put in my notes. This is the equivalent of a government-issued bulletproof SUV with a heavily armed escort. I wrote down Acts 9, verse 15. God said about Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to Gentiles and their kings. Little did Paul know that the way he would get Paul in front of kings to testify for Jesus Christ was to get him arrested and give him a, an elite Roman military escort. God's got to be up there at least going, they never saw this coming, but it's going to be good. Good, but painful. And here's what we want to talk about in light of this text in this story. The advantages of suffering in the will of God. Now, I need to note, suffering in the will of God. A lot of times we suffer for our own foolish mistakes. That's not the message. If you're suffering because you've made bad decisions, repent of those bad decisions, plead the mercy of God, begin to seek God for direction in life. But this is suffering in the will of God. You say there are advantages to suffering in the will of God? Yeah. Right in the text. First thing, it may be used to advance the gospel. Let me read for us Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I want you to know, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. His witness was not only before governors and kings and mighty men, but his witness even everywhere he went as a prisoner. Philippians 4.22, Paul will close out that letter, and here's what he says. All God's people send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. People in government positions in servant positions in Caesar's household, came to know Christ as a result of Paul being a prisoner for Christ. I thought about the Old Testament story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories, and it's interesting because the apostle Paul was told ahead of time the suffering that he would have to endure. Not in detail, but definitely a, a, a summarized, hey, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. There's no record that God told Joseph how much he would have to suffer. But at the end of his suffering, when God exalts him and he ends up fulfilling God's purpose in life through the suffering, in Genesis chapter 45, it's recorded for us as he reveals himself to his brothers who were the ones that sold him into slavery to Egypt and he became a slave in Egypt but it was through that 
negative experience and through the suffering in Egypt that God's purpose for his life was revealed and fulfilled. And after going through all those years of suffering, in chapter 45 of Genesis, verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry, angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, they'll not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. What a perspective in that God sometimes uses suffering to position Christians, to position a saint in the world to be a witness. I love it. I hate it. The cross was the ultimate example of how God uses suffering for his own purposes. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, Paul writes, We, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, mature saints, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, this wisdom. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's the wisdom of the cross. And in that, how God uses suffering for his own divine purposes. Advantages of suffering in the will of God, it may be used to advance the gospel. But that's not all. It proves the genuineness of our faith. Romans 8, 17, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, you can write it down. 2 Timothy 3, 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Isn't that one of those great, warm, fuzzy promises in the Bible? Philippians 1.29 is a sister verse to it. It goes like this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also 
to suffer for him. It proves the genuineness of our faith. But that's not all. It deepens our fellowship with Christ. Philippians 3.10. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Some of my times in life where I felt closest to the Lord were times of pain, uncomfortableness, suffering. Deepens our fellowship with Christ. And you don't feel it. It's not emotional, but it brings blessing from heaven. 1 Peter chapter 4. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. The blessing of God is on the saint that's suffering in the will of God. But there's more. Not only does it bring bring blessing from heaven, one of the greatest advantages of suffering in the will of God, it produces perseverance. And I've matched this up with perseverance produces maturity. Romans 5 verse 3, not only so, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And James tells us in chapter 1 verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I wish there was another way, but there is no other way to Christian maturity, suffering, tough times, trials, perseverance. Perseverance produces maturity, and one of the greatest advantages is this next one I want to share with you. Maturity yields a stead fast commitment. I love what Peter writes in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. That doesn't mean you never sin again. Let me read the rest of the verse. As a result, He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. It just means that in your maturity now, you're not on that roller coaster ride anymore of an immature saint. You're not wishy-washy. You're not, you know, committed one day and then you're off backslidden uh, the next day. No, you have now reached a place of maturity. It's not that you're sinless or completely perfect, but you are mature. The wishy-washy Christian life is behind you. And now, now, because you have persevered and character has been produced. Now you're mature.
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he continued to walk us through the books of the New Testament. From the life of Jesus and his ministry to how the gospel spread in the early days of the church, the New Testament books offer much insight into how we're supposed to live our lives now. They're not just an interesting story or a history lesson. These things actually happened. Is this New Testament Highlights series speaking to you in a personal way? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send us an email and tell us what your experience has been as you've listened to these teachings. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today. Here at The Living Word, we value digging into Scripture in order to learn and to grow in our personal pursuit of God. So we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue teaching the Word and reaching the world. We look forward to the next edition here on The Living Word.